this this week has been a very interesting week. So like most houses now that are built, they have your mains water and you have your recycled water. And for some reason, our recycled water kept ticking over. So we had a leak somewhere. And so we had the guys come out and they dug up the trench, they dug up the pipes, they reset everything, but the leak was still going on. They came in and said, can we have a look at your toilets, please? And so we had a look at the toilets. And then sure enough, like, it wasn't, wasn't seen, but there was a slight leak in, in the actual toilets um, that, w- that was occurring. And that's what kept the water ticking over, ticking over. So I was sitting there and I was watching this gentleman and he actually, the plumber, his name was Paul. Thank you, Paul, the plumber. And so he actually came and I was just watching. So he, he changed the, the inlet valve. He changed that inlet valve so I know how to change that. So that's pretty cool. And I was just learning, how do you, how do you change the outlet valve? There's a seal. So when you push the button down, this thing lifts up, all the water flushes and, and, and the flush happens in your, in your toilet. And so he actually took this whole thing out and I was watching how he did it. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. I want to know how to do this. And so he took it out, he changed the seal, put it back in, but it was still leaking. So he said, look, I've got to get a new cistern. I went, okay. Then. So he went and got a new cistern. I went to go play with the toilet. So I, I went to Bunnings and I bought some new seals and I said, let's play. And so I remembered how to do this and I took it apart and I took, pulled it out and I changed the seal that he already put in and it stopped the water. And I'm like, yes! I thought that was absolutely awesome. And so I did it on the other toilet as well. They came in and they replaced the cisterns. So all my work was for nothing, but I learned how to do something. I learned how to do something. So now I know. If you ever need somebody to change something, Carl, come over. <laughs> Jimmy's like, nah, it's all right, it's all right. But this, the reason why I give this illustration is that for us to learn how to do something, often we have to learn from somebody else. Now, I have fallen into the trap over time by making assumptions that people naturally know how to do something without actually investing into or showing people how to do it. And that applies even to the Christian life. You see, this week, and actually over the next couple of weeks, so I was, God's been burdening in my heart to share a message with you. And it's a message that I call the how-to. The how-to. And I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 12 to 14. In the NIV, that little section is titled Reasons for Writing. And what the Apostle John does is he uses particular descriptions of Christians in different stages of their journey with Jesus. And after looking at the sort of how-to sort of idea, I wanted to share with you some truths over the next few weeks as we take a break from Zechariah. Because I think this is important for us to have a look at what we're going to look at today is how to live as a child of God. How to live as a child of God. I'm going to read to you these three verses from 1 John chapter 2, open in prayer, and then let's have a look at this together as we look at today how to live as a child of God. 1 John chapter 2 verse 12 says this, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Verse 14, it's a repetition. Follow with me. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. 
I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and, have, and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Bow your heads. Let's pray. And let's look at this passage together and see what God has to tell us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that as we have sung, that we are healed, we are whole, we have been redeemed, we are saved in Jesus' name. And I thank you that as your children, that you might open our eyes to see the beautiful truths held within your scriptures, to see your beautiful person before our very eyes as exalted and lifted up. And that you, by your spirit, will minister to our hearts. Please teach us, Lord, how to be your child. How to walk and live independence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this beautiful letter, and I would encourage you over the next several weeks to read through 1 John. In this beautiful letter, the disciple John, whom Jesus loved, he expounds. He expounds on the realities of true love. He challenges the world and the importance of Christ's incarnation. And as I mentioned before, he looks at the reasons of this writing. In the first half of verse 12, John writes this, I am writing to you, dear children. He begins with this title of children. He, he's looking at this term that, that states this fact of belonging of identity as believers in general. It's, it's summed up as all believers. The word in Greek is called, excuse my pronunciation, technion. And it holds the meaning of, of, of kids. It holds the meaning of infants, of even darlings. That's what that word carries. Much like how a parent refers to their children, regardless of their age, regardless of their gender or their background, they are termed as technion, as children. It's the same word that's used in chapter 2, verse 1, when he, said, when he refers to as being dear children as well. That same, that same word, if my little children, he says, I am writing these things to you. That's the same word there. Interestingly, when we look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, when it says, Behold, the, the, what manner of love has been bestowed upon us that we might be called the children of God in the NIV. In the New King James, it says the sons of God. But that word is the derivative. It's, a, it's another sort of branch of this word technion. It's the word technon, and it can be translated as children, as a son, or as a daughter. But regardless of that context, the, I, the idea of Commonality, the idea of a shared commonality is expressed through this phrase, dear children, because we have all experienced the same shared experience of being able to call God our Father. We have the same experience in the second half of verse 1. It says, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. So he says, I write to you, dear children, technion. I write unto you, Christians, technion. I write unto you, believers, technion, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. 
on account of his name, as we sang this morning, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in Philippians 2.10. On account of his name, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says that there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. On account of his name, Acts 2.38 says that we are to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins and that we will receive the gift of his Holy Spirit. On account of his name, a man is made new. On account of his name, a woman is taken from darkness and brought into his marvelous light. On account of his name, we, we partake of a shared experience of being born again by the Spirit of God. Was John chapter 3 verse 7 says this, that flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit resulting in this wonderful gift of being able to call God Father. We now have, in his name, a shared parentage. I think of my family. I have six children. I have three biological children, and I have three adopted children. But yet they are all technion. They are all my children. My eldest boy is 28, 27, 28 very soon. But I still call him my technion. Jirel is 15, who now wears a, he wears a size 14 shoe now. I know. It's terrible. Like, well, actually, no, it's not, because I went to Melbourne. I took his shoes. But I can wear his shoes now. But he is my technion. Even though he's not my biological son, he is my son. He is my technion. This is the privilege given to all of us regardless of how old we are, regardless of what country we were born in, regardless of what career we have now, we are now in Jesus Christ, his children. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. It's a beautiful verse. I'll change it a little bit. It says, Once we were alienated from God and were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. But now he has reconciled us by Christ's physical body through death to present us holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. That is what we have received through faith in Jesus Christ who loved me, who gave himself for me, who rose again from the dead for me, and that by trusting in him I am his technion. I am his child the receiver of forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ, the receiver of redemption from offenses in Jesus Christ, the receiver of deliverance out of captivity all from Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must not be surprised when he says and lays out to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again because after being born after the first Adam, being born in sin, we must be born again in the likeness of the second Adam, who is Jesus Christ. And in him, no eternal life. And in him, no regeneration and restoration as a broken vessel. That's the blessing of that one simple phrase in verse 12 when he says, my dear 
children. This is what you have received in Jesus Christ. That's amazing. Look to the person next to you and say, you are technion. Now, in verse 14, I want to jump down to verse... When, when you say, don't do what Jono did. Jono made it look like an accusation. You're technion. Okay. Okay. But now jump down to verse 14. Okay. We're looking at how to live as children of God. And we read this, the same wording. He says, I write unto you, I write to you, dear children. He says it again. It's the same wording, but it's a completely different meaning here. The word children here is not technon or technion. The word children here, forgive my pronunciation once again, is paedion. paedion. And this is what it means. It means a half-grown child. It means a childling. It means an infant. It literally means, it can be literally translated as one who is immature in conduct and in attitude. So why then does he go one? So at one stage, he's addressing all believers in verse 12. Now he's referring to one particular believer in, their stage, in the stage of their journey. Yes, every believer, this is who you are. You are God's child in Jesus Christ. Now he says, all right, now for all of you babies. This is what he's saying here. Now, look, I look and I see, I, I see lovely Jonah. I look at Jonah, great kid, handsome kid, just, he's a magnet, just attracts people to him. It's just, it's amazing watching little Jonah, okay? And I look at Jonah, he's got two feet, I've got two feet. He's got two legs, as little as they are, I have two legs. He's got his little torso wearing his old man cardigan, I have my older, older torso wearing an old man jacket. He's got two arms, I've got two arms. He's got two eyes, etc. We have so many similarities, but here's the thing. I'm not going to ask Jonah to operate heavy machinery. I'm not going to ask Jonah to drive my car. I'm not going to ask Jonah to, to open a bank account for me on my behalf. Why? Because even though we are similar, even though we are similar and all the same attributes, he's not mature enough yet. He isn't at that stage yet. He isn't growing yet. Now, he knows the basics, and he has all the basics there, but they haven't been developed. That takes time. That takes growth. So why does John refer to this group of believers as immature? Well, it's because even though they know the basics of the faith, that their sins have been forgiven, there is development there is needed. They're only in the early stages of their journey. That while the eyes of their understanding have been enlightened, so that they might know what is the hope of their calling, what is the riches of their glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the incomparable great power to us who believe, while he knows that, or in other words, as what John puts it in this verse 14, he says, because you know the Father, he hasn't gone any further than that. And that's like many Christians. Many Christians haven't gone further than that. They know the basics of the faith. Um, they know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. They know that beautiful truth 
of experiencing the love of God in Jesus Christ. They know like the blind man did in John chapter 9, verse 26, when he says, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But I do know this, that where I was blind, now I can see. They know the, the, the beautiful truth of having their eyes open, revelation being made known to them in Jesus Christ. They know the basics of Luke chapter 9, sorry, 19, verses 9 and 10, when the story of Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. We know that. And you read in verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the initial point. That's when you're moved from darkness to light. That's when you are moved from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of his dear son. That's where the journey starts. That's where God says in Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you. That's where it all starts. What a great miracle to have somebody come to know the love of God in Jesus Christ. But here's the problem for a lot of us as Christians that we stay there. We stay there. We're like Peter Pan and refuse to grow up. We want to stay in Neverland and just relax and enjoy the benefits of being continually young. We look for the fountain of youth in our spiritual life and want to stay in this position of complete apathy of have everybody else do for me what I'm entirely capable of doing for myself. It is the refusal to deepen and grow in one's connection with the Lord, for it is entirely possible as a Christian to be a Christian and still stay a big baby. That we stay in this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and not move on from that. Because if I don't desire to move on, then I become spiritually stunted. I become spiritually frustrated. I, get, I become spiritually just bleh and stay where I am. It's, it's why the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. Anyone who lives still an infant is not equated with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now milk is a wonderful thing. We are told in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, that we are to what? Desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow thereby. Milk is a wonderful thing. Baby food's a wonderful thing. But as a 50-year-old man, if I'm going to look for all my sustenance, all my nutritional growth, all my dietary benefit in milk and baby food, then I'm going to be malnutritioned. Unless I'm going to eat every single jar of baby food in the supermarket, which probably still won't fill me up. But isn't that, isn't that the reality? I mean, what then do we do? Now, you might not consider yourself a paideon, okay? You might not consider yourself immature, and, and, and that's fine. You might consider yourself a young man, which we'll look at next week, or you might consider yourself a father, which we'll look at the week after. But here's what I want us to think about. What are we doing together as individuals and as a church to encourage, 
to bless, to equip, to disciple these children in their walks with the Lord? Are we even looking to? Are we trying to invest into the lives and into the hearts of others so that they can move from milk to solid food? And this was, I was, this is what challenged me about this because I was thinking personally, this is personally, I'm not throwing this on you, this is the challenge that God laid on my heart because I thought to myself, well then if I am not desiring to see people grow in their faith, if I am not desiring to invest into other hearts so people will come to experience that beautiful connection and deepening of their relationship with Jesus, if I am not desiring to do that in the lives of others, then maybe I am not as mature as I think I am. Maybe I'm not as spiritual as I determine myself to be. Because it's an ongoing theme. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, what does he say? He says, I do not write unto you as spiritual, as mature, but as unto carnal, as to immature, people governed by their impulses, as opposed to being governed by the Spirit. So if I'm thinking, how am I to do this? How am I to do this in your life? How can I bless you? How can I encourage you? How can I deepen or be used by God to be a signpost for you to deepen your connection with the Lord? And so I was thinking about this. I was thinking about children. See, what does a child need in order for them to function within their context? And this word struck me. Structure. Structure. Structure is not a bad thing. Our homes have structure for the development of the child. From sleeping patterns to manners. From values to their social interaction. From respect to the acknowledgement of what's being done for them. There is structure in a child's life everywhere they go. From their daycare to their school to their tutoring to their clubs, their extracurricular activity to their sports. Structure is necessary for children to develop and function properly in society. So too in the Christian life. That as children in Christ, structure is necessary for our development and for our function and growth as a follower of Jesus. Now we have this like blanket answer that we often give to people, and, and it's true. I would agree with this, that as a child of Christ, as we walk how to walk, well then let's look at the structure. And we usually use the spiritual disciplines of that structure. That's what they're for. The spiritual disciplines that we, of Bible reading, of prayer, of fellowship, of worship, of evangelism, we look at these spiritual disciplines as part of, well, as the structure to aid us in our growth. But I want you to pay attention to what I read from Richard Foster. It's a book I've been reading, which I've been learning a lot from. A spiritual discipline is an intentionally directed action by which we do what we can do in order to receive from God the ability or power to do what we cannot do by our own direct effort. I'm going to read it again because it takes a bit to grasp it. 
A spiritual discipline is an intentionally directed action by which we do what we can do in order to receive from God the ability or power to do what we cannot do by our direct effort. What then is it that we can do in order to receive from God that which we cannot do by our own direct effort? How do I live as a child of God? How do I live as a child? Okay, look firstly at what a child does in connection with their parents. Their parents who love them. A parent who wants what's best for them. What do I see in that? I see a child who depends wholeheartedly on their parents. You see what they do? They accept the instruction of their parents. They rely on the guidance of their parents. They rest on their parents' love because the child doesn't understand and doesn't see everything that goes on that what the parent sees. Would you agree with that? You make decisions. Your children may not like it, but you make decisions for their child because you see more than what they see. You know more than what they know. So what does the child do? Even though they don't like it, they rely wholeheartedly on their parents. I see a child who, who looks to please their parents. I mean, see what they do. Think about all the times your children, when they were little, would bring something that they made from daycare or something that they made from Sunday school or something that they saw outside. It might be a rock. It might be a stick. I don't know. It might be a dead animal. I don't know what your children are into. But they bring it to you, and they look for your acknowledgement as they bring it to you. Look, Dad. Look what I got. What is it? It's a cattail. What are you doing with that? I don't know. But you do it. They, they do it. Why? Because they seek your acknowledgement. They want to do something for you because you do so much for them. And, and they want to express how much they love you by doing it. And that's what they do. So they, they want to honor them. They, they, want, they want to revere them. They want to respect them. Not to gain their approval. You know why? I, I, look, I look at Sienna and Eden and, and I look at how they are with their parents. And, and they're not doing it to gain their parents' approval. You know why? Because their approval is already theirs. They don't have to earn their parents' love. That love is theirs already. And so when they give it, they give it out of genuine appreciation to say, this is for you. That's what they do. I see a child that, that trusts in the structure and in the boundaries set in place by their parents, even though they don't fully understand it, even though it might not even be fully appreciated. They are accepted because they have this idea in their own minds that their children, I'm sorry, that their parents love them in a functioning home. And he goes, hey, Dad, there's a lot of like, like space machines there. I'm, I'm wondering what I do. I said, how do I do this? And so Nathaniel went with him and showed him how to use the space machines. Okay? But he needed somebody, the how-to, so he needs the structure. Then he goes, what exercise program? So Nathaniel, who's a qualified personal trainer, set up for him a particular exercise program to do. And now that's what Isaiah does. That was the how-to. How do you do it? He had the structure. Then he learned by watching his brother do the exercises makes a lot of relevance for us now in our Christian life, eh? How, how, how do I read my Bible? How do I study my Bible? How do I pray? 
How, how do I fellowship? How do I worship? How do I, how to is done not only by the Spirit of God, but by us investing into each other, learning from each other. Like a person learning how to play the guitar, like an individual following a recipe to cook a delicious meal. The structure is there for our benefit to know who God is closer. And we can do that together. Why do you think we are called the body of Christ? We are the body of Christ to grow together, to walk with each other, to invest into each other. That's what it means to walk as a child of God in dependence and in trust and in reliance. So I want you to ask the Lord and that by his spirit, he will reveal to you how you can spend time with him and how that time with him can be spent between you and him. How can you utilize, ask God how, how you can utilize your downtimes to draw near to him. Ask him how you can rely on him when things are hard and difficult. Ask him how you can evangelize given your changing circumstance and changing context continually. Ask him how you can worship even in the midst of difficulty and hardship. Ask him how you can have a heart of worship in those. How you can worship as a child of God for his glory, regardless of what you're going through right now. And then when he shows you, this is what you can do, Kathy. This is what you can do, Penny. This is what you can do, Jono. When he shows you, do it. I asked for a word on Friday from Pastor Roger, who was here. And he, he, he gave a word of about prayer, but there was something interesting and he said how he would just take moments. God has laid upon his heart in prayer where he would just, you know, in the business, sit down. And, and he did like that, that old man, that old man thing where you sort of like, you sort of sit down and you're like this. And, and he said he would just sit there just to hear from God. And he would just say, Lord, just, just speak to me. And he goes, look, I know, I know that there are moments, but it's just in those moments. It means I've got to take that moment. That's what he said. He says, for me, I just got to do that. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what should be done. For me, I've just got to do it. And so he said in the quietness, he's got this chair at home and he just sits there, does his old man pose, puts his hand and his, his, his head on his hand, face palms himself, and then he just sits there to hear from God. But it's in those moments that God would speak to him. Like last night, last night I was, you know, because we, we like to spend family time and sometimes we just watch a TV show together. And so everyone were all together to watch TV, and I said, I don't, don't really feel like watching today. And they're like, oh, really? Everything okay? It's fine. I said, honestly? I just, and I just went to the room by myself and just sat there. And I didn't turn the TV on. I didn't go on my phone. I just started reading. And it was amazing because in that moment, God met with me. And I was blessed. You know, so how? How will it look for you? One more quote from Richard Foster to close. Training in the spiritual disciplines is, God, sorry, is the God-ordained means for forming and transforming the human personality so that in the emergency, we can be response-able, able to respond appropriately. I'll read it one more time. Training in the spiritual disciplines is the God-ordained means for forming and transforming the human personality so that in the emergency, we can be response-able, able to respond 
appropriately. When we go from here today, my challenge for you is to ask the Lord to reveal himself. How? How can I live as a child dependent upon you? What structure must I take in my life that I can hear clearly from you? What do you want to implement within my heart, in my heart and within my desires that will transform me to be response-able in the various contexts I find myself in? That's the challenge. And what's really exciting is that when you do reach out, what do we learn in Zechariah 1.3? That if you return to him, he will return to you. May you go from here today with that challenge and be blessed. So with that, just bow your heads and I'll close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Firstly, for the privilege of being your technion, being your children, taken out of darkness, taken out of the kingdom of this world, and being called your children. Thank you that we experience the fullness of who you are, and, and you desire us to experience even more of the abundance that you have revealed to us in yourself. I pray that you will help each of us, help each of us to hear from you, to ask of you, and that as you speak to each of us in all our unique contexts, we, in obedience, will respond accordingly, that we will respond responsibly. Father, we need your help. I thank you, Lord, that there is so much we cannot do, but you, Lord, are more than enough, and that you are more than sufficient for us to experience the abundance you've provided. We ask you to dismiss us now and thank you for the privilege of being called your child. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.